Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of the Crowded Booth Podcast. Bryce Kuhn alongside Nathan King. And if you know who Nathan King is, you know we're continuing our tour around the SEC. And we stop on the plains in Auburn where there's a lot of off-season news. But, Nathan, I know you've been covering the program for quite a while now. And uh, there's never a shortage of things to cover when it comes to the Auburn football program. But first off, how are you doing? Are you ready for SEC Media Days? I am I am very ready. That's what we were talking about right before we got rolling. And uh, just because you've now given me the floor and you can't do anything about it, I want to say congratulations to you on uh, covering LSU now and joining the 24-7 uh, network. You and I have been linking up for a few years on, uh, on these shows, and uh, you even did the Mercer preview with us last year. And so I uh, just want to say congratulations on that, and uh, welcome, to the, welcome to the SEC side of 24-7. But, uh, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to media days, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you there. Of course, it's going to be a ton of fun. And one note, I don't think we've talked since the Mercer game. Um, but man, could they not have just suspended that game? I don't know if you remember the the rain. Terrible. It was just awful. We had to sit in the radio booth. Hey, the uh, the SID department was fantastic. Brought us some more food. Uh, that was great. But other than that, uh, man, what a what a week one. But we're getting ready. Um, I don't know how many days until Auburn kicks off. I know LSU's right around that fifty four. They got that Sunday night kickoff, so I imagine same kind of time frame, Nathan. So we're closing in on the date. And look, you know this, I know this. I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, you know, 30 minutes from Auburn. A lot of Auburn fans. And the talk around the town and I know around this program is one of the biggest things is identity. And they've got to find especially an offensive identity. They hired a guy that a lot of people say can give them that. Uh, what has been kind of your early returns, early things you've heard and seen uh, from the very early start of the Hugh Freeze era in Auburn? Yeah, you know, like you said, you know, you you're you're connected around here in terms of the expectations. Like you know what Auburn football looks like, has looked like, what fans expect it to look like. And you know, and you could probably tell from that Mercer game sitting in that booth that they just didn't have it last yeah. year. I mean, it was there were some signs very early on. Um that that following week, the next game, they were down 10 to 7 at halftime to San Jose State. Um, the next week was the worst home loss to a non-conference opponent in like 20 years when they got blasted by Penn State. So um, I think we talked last year about this, about you know, looking ahead to Auburn. And, uh, you know, I had my skepticisms, as did most people. And so obviously the Brian Harson era did not work out there. Um, recruiting was a big part of that. And obviously it's mm -hmm. the lifeblood of any of any big program. You know, use whatever buzzwords you want. Recruiting is important. And. Brian Harson didn't seem to have as good of a as good of a grasp on that as he should have uh, on that concept how important it was, um, but B had to execute it. I mean, he's just not a very high level recruiter. Um, maybe we should have seen something like that coming coming over from Boise mm -hmm. State. It just wasn't his you know for for better or for worse I guess mostly for worse uh, it just really wasn't his forte. And so you're talking about early returns on Hugh Freeze. That's number one. Like you can't even yeah. begin the conversation without noting how good they've been in on the recruiting trail both fixing up the high school class but also the transfer portal you know covering lsu they, they did a fantastic job in the mm -hmm. portal um auburn was top five the whole cycle they were number one at one point i think they finished at number two and now with a with the little you know tinkering here at the end i think they finished number four in the country um that has been the biggest i think win for hugh freeze early in his tenure because you looked at this roster particularly on defense particularly along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball um, quarterback had a, you know, obviously massive struggles last year. There really wasn't a single spot on the roster that they did not identify a need and then hit it in mm -hmm. the transfer portal. Um, the only spot they didn't bring in a player was the secondary. And that's because the secondary is the best part of this team next year. They're loaded. They've got two or three NFL players um, at defensive back. And so 
this has gone from a rough roster. Things were really looking gloomy when they were trying to make a coaching hire. And it was either, you know, it kind of came down to Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze. And, um, you know, I thought they could have done well with both. I think but you, you'd see a lot of positives with both. Obviously, things were a little rough around the edges in terms of um, presenting Hugh Freeze as an option mm-hmm. to all Auburn fans. I think you know, that's not a hot take to say anything like that. I mean, obviously, there were um, there's a little bit of a prickly past for him, but what is going to, I remember at his introductory press conference, he said, you know, just give me a chance. That's all he said. He said, I know, I understand why you guys feel that, you know, why people feel this way. And I've been dealing with this for a while. All that I ask is you give me a chance. And really, you know, I hesitate to say there, there has not been, I'm not, you know, I don't want to call it a home run hire or anything like that. He hasn't even played a game. Mm-hmm. Um, not been a bunch of negatives. I mean, they've recruited really well, done well in the transfer portal. Um, they've retained roster talent really well. You look at the guys they've lost in the portal, didn't lose that many important players. The assistant staff has done really well. Um, just good vibes all around, which is what you want going into year one of a, of a new coaching staff. And so for me at this point, I don't see any reason to say that, yeah, Hugh Freeze wasn't a good hire. I think he was a good hire. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to do well for the future um, of this program. And it starts in, like we're going to talk about on this show, it starts in year one where I think their schedule's not too bad and they fixed up the roster pretty well. And so this was a team this time last year, I was like, man, there are so many deficiencies. There's a lot of problems. To where now I'm thinking, yeah, this team could definitely get back to a bowl game and, and maybe win a couple more games than that. You mentioned this, and I want to hit on this really quickly. And I know it was uh, talked about on radio shows, podcasts like this, and more. But you mentioned his opening comments. How much of the uh, just being open uh, that he has, and you know, watching some of these podcasts, watching some of the interviews he's done, and just how candid, even you know, talking with you all about this. How much has that kind of helped maybe any ease out, maybe smooth out some of that prickly past that you were mentioning? Uh, how how has he done that? And you think he's handled that pretty well so far uh, in on the planes? I do. Yeah. I mean, that that beginning, I, there was a point where I was like, man, this is going to be really rough because um, it felt like 50-50. Maybe the majority wasn't that big, but people make themselves heard on social media. Mm. And so everything about Hugh Freeze that we would post or write about all that kind of stuff, it was met with just these these venomous comment sections of people you know, either defending him or going after him, and I'm like, man, this is going to be this is going to be a tiring coaching tenure to to cover. You know, going through this college athletics, it, that all dies down after a while, and um, you know that his his early approach to things I think was really important. Um, you know, John Cohen has has come around. He he was under fire a little bit at the beginning because he didn't take questions at the press conference. Mm-hmm. That was. Obviously, that's a big no-no when you're when you're an AD and you make a hire like this. But he's come around and uh, you know has really been open and transparent about this kind of stuff. But the biggest thing about Hugh Freeze, you know, from a from a media perspective, um, he reminds all, all of us here a lot of Bruce Pearl in the sense that he just knows what he should and shouldn't do in terms of in terms of you know not only with media because that but the, you know, that's that's what we t- that's what we deal with. But it's not the most important thing. The fan base overall. Like talking about the cost possibility of hiring a Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's a great coach. I think he would have done really well at Auburn. Um, but you wonder if and I, you know the word culture fit is a bit cliched sometimes. But you wonder if a guy like Hugh Freeze, who has no problem going to these alumni events and getting in front of fans and really just kind of playing it up. And but you know it's not it's not disingenuous. Like he does enjoy that stuff, and so does Bruce Pearl. You know, really kind of enjoying that kind of role as a head coach. Something Brian Harson really steered away from. Um, I love Gus Malzahn to death, but he was kind of awkward in those scenarios um, just because he's, you know, he's the kind of guy that he is. And so um, yeah, that that's kind of how Freeze reminds me a little bit of 
of Pearl in that sense. And so, you know, while that doesn't translate to on-field stuff at all, that, that doesn't have anything to do with what you do on the field, um, get the boosters, you know, behind you, get the fan base rallying behind you. And, and again, I, I do think that, you know, not to, not to sit here and, uh, you know, sunshine pump about, about a head coach and, you know, somebody again, who, who had a lot of stuff to overcome in terms of his past, but it's, it's tough to find something that hasn't been positive so far, really, mm-hmm. since he's arrived um, both on the field and off the field. Um, everything has been pretty, pretty high marks so far. And for a fan base that was pretty, pretty dejected because of the Brian Harson era, that's, uh, that's really what they needed. And so now you go from Cadillac Williams at the end of last year, really brought the energy back to the program, transitioning into Hugh Freeze. It's been a, it's been a fun past eight months for Auburn fans without even really playing a game. You talked about the portal, um, you know, a lot of conversation about that for Auburn and the ability to really bring in what's the equivalent of a new offense. Uh, you know, so many different options. Wanted to ask you this because I think this is really key. Your fan base understands this, the folks that you are writing to and all these different things, podcasting to. It's a unique culture. It's a unique job in the sense of where I think that you have to be able to understand the expectations. And Nathan, I'll say this. Maybe because I grew up in Columbus, maybe because I went to multiple Auburn games, I've seen what they've done over the past decade and winning games they probably shouldn't, especially inside that home stadium. I'm a little bit higher on Auburn than I think people are around the country in the sense of just knowing what Freeze could bring. And I think it starts with the quarterback position. Wanted to get your thoughts on Peyton Thorne, obviously Robbie Ashford, a fantastic athlete. But is it true to the sense where Ashford is really comfortable in being developed under Freeze and understands that Thorne might be, and I don't know if you guys have seen this as well, is Thorne going to be that de facto number one guy heading into that first game? It's it's difficult for me right now to say otherwise. Um, but I, you know, you don't want to take anything away from what Robbie Ashford can do mm-hmm. in terms of competing here. This is not only somebody that that beat out you know, TJ Finley was not necessarily Tom Brady there at that starting quarterback position for them last year. Um, but Robbie was a young guy, came over, transferred from Oregon, and TJ was an experienced guy, had had experience in the offense, won the job, and then Robbie ended up being the better player over the course of the season. Also, credit where credit is due and kind of giving proper context. Robbie Ashford played with every injury you could pretty much note from head to toe. I mean, yeah. he had about eight or nine different injuries at the end of last year um, because, you know, from watching him, it's just a guy who puts his body on the line. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can never, ever count out a player like that. And he is a really fun player. I'm interested to see, like you said, what happens if Thorne is the starter? What does he do in terms of development? Does he stay at Auburn? Does he want to you know, be a dual threat court? You know, what, what ends up happening there? Cause there's just so much, I think, untapped uh, potential for him, but you know, all that is to say that, yes, at the moment, it's difficult to say Peyton Thorne's not going to be the starting quarterback um, just on experience alone. So 26 career starts at the power five level, um, 49 career touchdown passes. That's seven times, the amount that Robbie Ashford has in his career. So again, the experience just kind of stacks mm-hmm. up there. Um, that 2021 season for Michigan State was obviously a great year. They won 11 games. That was when they had Kenneth Walker at running back. He was fantastic that year. He broke yeah. Kirk Cousins' single season touchdown record at Michigan State. Last year, again, I talked to his uh, his offensive line coach last week, and he was telling me, you look start looking at about week six or seven, because that was when he got over an early season injury. You look at his numbers when he was healthy, really, really good. And so hmm. when he's been healthy, A, when he's been healthy, and B, when he's had a decent running game, he's been top 40, top 35 quarterback in the country in terms of in terms of QBR over the last couple of years. You mentioned the transfer portal. Offensive line looks pretty good for Auburn. Looks like hmm. it'll be better than it has been. It's been a very inconsistent for them. 
And if Jarquez Hunter and, and Brian Batiste, who comes over from USF, if they can make up the loss of Tank Bigsby, you're probably talking about a pretty good running game too. And so, um, you know, all of that combined with how well he fits in Hugh Freeze's system, I think um, Hugh Freeze's acumen with transfer quarterbacks in the past, Bo Wallace, Chad Kelly, Malik Willis, all of those guys came in and did really well under Hugh Freeze. Um, and I should mention Philip Montgomery as well, kind of a quarterback whisperer in his own in his own right, the offensive coordinator. He's done really well with some QBs in the past. Think Case Keenum, think Robert Griffin mm-hmm. III. And so there's a lot there, I think, that you can go off of that, like you said, that can make people say, make the argument for, hey, Auburn might be a little bit better than people think this year. I Bringing those expectations down there, or at least playing devil's advocate, is the fact that this offense has just been so inconsistent yeah. over the past few yeah. years. They did a ton of work in the portal at receiver, but they're still just transfers. So they got to go out there and prove it. They don't even, they don't have a number one guy coming back at receiver. They got a bunch of number threes and number fours, but do they have an alpha male at receiver um, running back? Tank Bigsby was really, really good. And I think people mm-hmm. are going to maybe realize this season, maybe Jarquez Hunter won't be as good as him because Tank Bigsby was absolutely fantastic. And I think people are going to kind of realize what they were, uh, what they were seeing the past couple of years. But yeah, it's difficult at this point to say that Peyton Thorne doesn't win the job. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm interested to ask you freeze about it next week at media days. Does he, is he comfortable with playing quarterbacks early in the year? Um, but week two, they go to Cal and that's a game they could definitely lose. That's definitely a tough road game. And so um, they got to figure it out quickly. So I'll be interested to see what their plan is in, uh, in fall camp. And if they're willing to do that early in the season. One more question about the offense. It's a group that ranked 11th in scoring in the sec last year. You mentioned kind of this, in what I've seen, a revolving door kind of at that wide receiver, nobody really being able to step up in that number one spot. Um, and you mentioned, look, they brought in some talented guys, but the results have to come with that potential. Who's a guy or maybe one or two that you're looking at and saying, hey, if they're going to have success in the passing game and they're going to you know, increase their scoring offense, it's going to have to come down to one or two guys. Do you have two guys in that wide receiver room that you're saying, hey, these guys got to lead the way? Two guys that – I have a difficult time not seeing producing really well this season Um, that Shane hooks comes over from Jackson state, former Ole Miss commit in the portal decommitted and then came to Auburn. Um, And then Camden Brown, who was a true freshman last year, actually caught a touchdown against LSU last year, really flashed when he was able to get on the field, didn't get targeted much, didn't get on the field. Um, But when he was able to get on there, he's a former three-star recruit who at the end of his recruitment, um, Georgia and Florida state were pushing for him. And saying we want you to get in the class, and so anytime that happens, you know you you think you're a pretty decent player. And then uh, with Shane Hooks, really love his skill set. He was Jackson State's leading receiver last year for Deion Sanders, ten touchdowns, six foot four. He can pretty much do everything. Um, Philip Montgomery told me that he has eleven uh, inch hands. He wears a four XL glove. The uh, the NFL Combine record for hands is eleven point seven five apparently. Wow. Um, and so <laughs> Philip Montgomery was telling me the first time he shook his hand, like. Shane Hooks' entire hand went like all the way to his wrist. And so, uh, yeah, I've been at the facility a little bit this summer with recruiting stuff. And um, like there, some of his teammates were telling me like Hooks is just a little bit of a different guy, a little bit of a different mm-hmm. breed. Um, you see him across the field. He's just like away from everybody, just doing pushups in the corner. So I, I kind of and I love that out of a receiver. I love, a, I love kind of a I love a receiver who's a little bit unhinged. I think that's the perfect personality trait. Anyway, all that is to say that both of those guys, their skill sets. Hooks, I think, can do a little bit of everything. I think his versatility is going to allow him to play a lot of different spots. And then they've missed since Seth Williams was here, which obviously he was a really good outside receiver. But since he's been gone, they've missed an outside threat. They've missed a red mm-hmm. zone guy. Camden Brown, six foot three, 210 pounds, really emerged as a big leader 
in spring ball. They've got a first-year position coach. Marcus Davis was telling us all through the spring how big of a leader he is as only a true sophomore. Um, and then kind of an honorable mention, Rivaldo Fairweather is not a receiver, um, but he is a dual-threat tight end, kind of a hybrid tight end receiver type role. Comes over from FIU. He was a first-team all-conference selection there um, last season. He's another guy. You look at him in the spring. And he was really, really doing some stuff for the offense. Hugh Freeze called him the most consistent member of the passing game. Quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, anybody that's involved in the passing game. He said throughout the spring he was the most consistent player. So that obviously signals probably your starting tight end. Going to get a lot of options in the red zone for him. I just think this red zone offense, I, I don't have their numbers pulled up, um, but it's been bad the past two or three years. Mm-hmm. Now you've got, and I'm not even mentioning Nick Mardner, who comes over from Cincinnati. He's the tallest receiver in program history, six foot six. So you've got all this length that I've mentioned. I think they're going to be a little bit better, plus an accurate quarterback in Peyton Thorne. I think they're going to be a little bit better in the uh, in the red zone this year. But those are my two guys, Hooks and Camden Brown. I really think um, both of them are going to have pretty decent seasons this year. Well, it's an offense, Nathan, that if they're going to get clicking, and if it does take some time with all these new faces, they're going to have to rely on a defense that – Nathan, look, there's no secret about it. I mean, Auburn has been a team that traditionally has been able to have a really stout defense. Last season left a lot to be desired in that category. Was it more a question of just depth or is just the overall talent level not there? And why do you think it could be better or is it not going to be better in 2023? Yeah, it was the worst run defense for them since 2012. Obviously, that's the season Auburn went three and nine. And we kept referencing that in stories all last year and that's when you knew things were going to go downhill when you keep writing since 2012 since 2012 yeah it's, it's probably not going to go very good uh jeff schmetting the defensive coordinator look you look at like you said kind of an underrated quality of auburn for the better part of the la- honestly the last decade they've had a really mm-hmm. good defense yeah. um talking about kevin Steele was there for five years they never finished outside the top 20 in sp plus defense under kevin Steele. Derek mason comes over in 2021 everyone he's a good he's a good defensive coordinator they were pretty good that year as well things really fell off a cliff though last year it never really worked under Jeff Schmetting who was obviously Parsons uh, DC at Boise State as well it was the most 40 point games given up in program history so on that mark it was one of the worst defensive seasons ever at Auburn but you look across the roster and there was talent I mean there was talent in the secondary you had Owen Papo at linebacker Derek Hall and Colby Wooden at defensive line so um, I hesitate to say it was much of a lack of lack of talent as much as it was a scheme B rotation. That was very confusing mm-hmm. for us. They'd play three defensive linemen pretty much the entire game. And I, I just, I, I'm not a football coach, but to me that seemed um, like that wasn't the best recipe for success. That's something that's really yeah. going to change talking to Jeremy Garrett, their new, uh, their new D line coach. That's obviously a big emphasis for them. Ron Roberts comes over from Baylor. Um, their defensive coordinator. Obviously, they had a great defense in 2021 when they uh, when they were won the, won the Big 12 that year, um, but one of the best defenses in the country. And so, the front seven, though, that is where I again kind of have a little bit of a question mark this year for the team. Is they bring a, linebackers a lot like receiver? They have names, but are, they're just transfers. The guys on the roster, they're not number one linebackers. They're number threes and number fours. And so, how good can that group be replacing Owen Papo? The defensive line kind of the same deal um i like marcus harris he's a three-year starter justin rogers is just a people leader that comes over from kentucky other than them again just kind of some names that that you kind of throw in there and hope that somebody is going to step up from that group that that's where there's a little bit of concern for me because of how bad this run defense was last year and so Mm -hmm. you know you talking about why the defense was so bad teams are just able to start running the ball by the second quarter didn't need to pass it that much they were just establishing a consistent identity um, the Georgia game comes to mind, Penn State, Arkansas. These are teams that had 
a buck 50 by the second quarter on the ground. And so you really don't have to do anything fancy from there. You're pretty much wearing down the opponent at the line of scrimmage. And so um, that's all, it's all going to lean on the secondary in a big way because we just talked about the front seven needing some work. Um, We talked about it at the beginning here. The secondary is loaded Uh, two or three NFL caliber defensive backs, Uh, DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett were both invited to the senior bowl. They both could have been drafted. Maybe Nehemiah Pritchett would have been undrafted, but DJ James was like fourth, fifth round grade. Um, Jalen Simpson has now moved back to safety. He was a really, really good looking player at the end of last year. And then there's like three or four veteran senior DBs that I'm not even mentioning. And so that's the strength of the defense. They have to be good defending the pass um, if they're going to hope to have any you know, hope of, of improving as a defense this year, because I do think they're going to have some struggles in the uh, in the front seven until they're able to rebuild that defensive line through the uh, through the recruiting trail a little bit. Are there any young names to kind of watch in this defense, especially up on the front seven, that maybe you're excited to see how they develop? Yeah, one in particular, their their top-rated signee in the class is Keldrick Falk. Um, he mm-hmm. flipped from Florida State. That was a big – talking about what they did on the recruiting trail, you may not look at their 24 class. I think it's number 46 right now or something like that. Um, but you know, you know, you got to build guys up during the summer. But yeah. um, looking at what they did at the end of 23, they flipped Keldrick Falk from Florida State. They flip Kyan Lee, who's a four-star defensive back, flip him mm-hmm. from Ohio State. And then they flip Connor Liu, who is who was spectacular um, at center. He's an offensive lineman. They flip him from Miami. And so um, making those flips at the end of the 23 cycle was really big to kind of get them back on track. But no, Keldrick Falk is, I mean, everything is advertised. Uh, just a monster. Six foot five, 275. And uh, that's what he was listed at, a 24-7. And then he went to the Under Armour um, All-American, or no, into Army All-American game. And they measured him like there, you know, obviously making sure everything was correct. And he mm-hmm. checked in at like 6'5, 279. So everyone was like, okay, like it's it's legit. <laughs> um, comes to Auburn, second week of spring practice. His teammates are buzzing about him saying this, this guy's the truth. Um, you don't want to put that much pressure on a true freshman, of course, but at the same time, they will be very well served if he's their best edge rusher by the end of the year. Cause we uh they we talked about at the beginning, they lost Derek Hall, they lost Eculiota, those are their two best pass rushers. Colby Wooden could also rush the passer. He's gone as well. And so um, they have no returning production at their uh, at their Jack linebacker spot at that pass rusher position. And so um, they brought in Jalen McLeod from App State. He's kind of a third down specialist. But I think as an every down guy, um, Keltrick Falk is going to need to be that that player for them. And then I just talked about him, but Kyan Lee, this is I, I say it's a loaded secondary and it is. Um, but it's very loaded at safety, very loaded at nickel. At corner, there's four really good players, but past them, there's not really anybody, which four mm-hmm. is all you need if you don't have injuries. But um, you know, backing up DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett, on one side, you're going to have J.D. Rim, who's a former four-star top 150 recruit. I believe he was he was an LSU guy um, mm-hmm. target at one point. And then on the other side, you're going to have Kyan Lee, who's a true freshman, um, another spectacular player in spring practice. Every time we went out there, you're looking at him. That And, and J.D. Rim was injured in the spring, so he got every opportunity as the number three corner. Um, every time we got to look at him is like, that is not a freshman. That is not a freshman in college. Um, looks like an NFL defensive back. And so those are two guys I've definitely got my eye on there. Um, and then another kind of honorable mention I'll give just real quick, a, a redshirt freshman guy who didn't play much at all last year was their top signee in their, in their 22 class. And that's Robert Woodyard, former Alabama flip at linebacker. We talked about those question marks at linebacker. He was, he was injured most last year. He dealt with a season ending knee injury when he was a senior in high school. Kind of, you know, those lingering effects were still there when he was a true freshman, only played on kickoffs, really. What does he look like fully healthy? Former top 150 guy, really athletic player, um, sort of that KJ Britt mold of just go downhill and smack somebody at the middle linebacker spot. 
maybe he's somebody who could make some noise there on the on the second level of the defense. Well, a lot of new names, a lot of names to know for sure, and Nathan's got that. Auburn opens up with UMass at Cal, Samford before then, obviously, starting SEC play. So we're doing this with every single team, and it might put you on the spot, but hey, that's okay. We can obviously edit this. It's not live. But I got three for you here. I've got one game that you are just most excited to watch, maybe a benchmark game to kind of see where this Auburn program is in year one under Hugh Freeze. Uh, then the next one, I've got what's what's a trap game on this schedule? And then the third one is what's a must-win game for Auburn in 2023 if they want to get to bowl eligibility? Yeah, those are all really good. I think I've got an SEC answer for each of those. Because um, if you look at the schedule, it goes really light non-conference, at least compared to what they've seen recently. I mean, teams across mm, yeah. the country are playing much bigger non-conference opponents than Cal, and Cal is better. I think they have a top 20 transfer class. That won't be an easy game in week two, but it's easier than going to Penn State. You know, it's easier than, than some other teams that, that other SEC programs are playing. So you got light non-conference. You got the heavy hitters at the top in, in the three rivals, LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. Auburn will be big underdogs in those games. But what will decide this season is the in-betweeners. It's that mm-hmm. kind of middle-of-the-pack SEC West. Um, you know, Arkansas, Ole Miss, is Texas A&M going to be better? Auburn needs to snag a couple of those and they'll win six or seven games. And that's based on where they were last year. That's two thumbs up for you freeze. You know, that's not where Auburn wants to be in the long term, but in terms of a, of a, of a year over year rebuild, that's, that's two wins of improvement. If you win seven games. And so you talk about most anticipated, um, obviously I could, you know, pick, could pick a rivalry here. Um, That, that home game against Ole Miss, there's Mm. a lot of different factors going on there. You have Hugh freeze facing his former team at Ole Miss. Um, I think the players will be plenty charged up for that one. There's a little bit of a revenge factor because uh, they lost in Oxford last year. That snapped a six-game winning streak for Auburn. And that was a really good game, too. That was a completely yeah. dysfunctional Auburn team. But they they almost, I hesitate to say almost won, but they were very competitive against a good Ole Miss team. And then you have the Lane Kiffin saga. And whether the reasoning is proper or not, like I think a lot of it might just be drummed up by the fans. But they'll boo him. It'll be, you know... The, that, that that coaching saga left a bad taste in their mouths, even though I don't think it should have. Like they just they just didn't hire the guy. Like it's not necessarily a big deal, but I think he got the big extension at Ole Miss. People were saying, Oh, you know, you, you know, you you spurned Auburn. I think um that should be a really big environment. That's it's it's big for Auburn that that's at home. Um and so, you know, obviously it'd be easy to pick one of the rivalry games. That's one that that I think is a little bit off the wall for them, but could be big. Also, they could be uh winless in the SEC going into that game because before that mm-hmm. if i'm remembering correctly you got a m you got lsu and you've got georgia i think those are their only three sec yeah. games before that you're going to be an underdog in all those and i know a m might not be great but you got to go on the road so you could be winless that could be a pressure situation you come home and that home crowd can kind of let that out for you um trap game vandy is i, I don't know mm-hmm. i just I, I know maybe that auburn and vanderbilt that should never be a question but I mean, Clark Lee does a good job with it. I, he, he, yeah. Year. yeah. And I, and I look at that Vanderbilt roster and um, you know, they've got a lot of options. Uh, you know, AJ Swan did a lot of good things for them yeah. at quarterback. He has his top three receivers back and three starting offensive linemen back. And so they've got a lot to replace at running back. Cause obviously Ray Davis went to, went to Kentucky um, have some pieces to replace on, on defense like Anthony orgy, but I don't know. That's just a, it's a weird game. Vandy's never going to be uh, one that you're going to feel great about. Um, if you're, if you've got to go in the road environment, I will say Nashville is Auburn's third biggest alumni club. So like half the stadium might be Auburn <laughs> fans, but still that's, 
it's sort of to me it, it may not be competitive but from this far out it's sort of screams trap game to me because every other road game on this schedule i don't think you know cal is tricky i don't think that's trap i think it's you know it's pretty cut and dry why yeah. that's tricky and yeah. you'll be an underdog arkansas you'll be an underdog Ole miss at home you might be an underdog and so you know it's it's tough to call any of those trap games um and then talking about must wins i say mississippi state at home um mm -hmm. you know for for obviously unfortunate circumstances there yeah. um that's going to be a team kind of going through a bit of a rebuild especially on offense and with what Will Rogers has done to you the past couple of years, because he has torched Auburn 10 touchdown passes over the last two years against Auburn, um, including six and 415 yards in 2021. And so um, you've got to get one back against him this season, you know, looking at what they're, what they're looking like. I know they're, they're losing a lot of production on both sides of the ball and yeah. it's the home game. Again, talking about the pressure situation, you're looking at that game saying you might only have one sec win at that point too, or, or, or zero if things don't go your way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's that's one I think you've got to have at home. If you lose a game like that at home, honestly, if you lose at Vanderbilt too, those are games that if you're looking at Auburn's schedule and saying they got to get back to a bowl game, those are kind of the gimmies right now. You're saying Auburn will be favored there. You, you kind of got to have those if you're going to try to get back to a bowl game. Because me, I look at the four non-cons, Vandy, Ole Miss, mm -hmm. or excuse me, Vandy, Mississippi State. That's six games. Yeah, You're kind of you're kind of already at this stage of the offseason, you're kind of putting those in your bag. And then saying, yeah. all right, what other ones can they jump up and get to seven wins? Can they jump up and get Ole Miss? Can they beat Arkansas on the road? Can they maybe – will Texas A&M be bad again? Could they, could they win in a home Iron Bowl? I mean, shoot, they almost did it two years ago with a with a bad coach and a one-legged T.J. Finley. They almost beat the Heisman <laughs> winner. That just that, that happens at Jordan-Hare, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And so um, you've got to have games like uh, like Vandy and Mississippi State, but I think Mississippi State is more of a, a must-win because it's a home game. It could be a house of horrors for road teams, that's for sure. Nathan, last question before we get out of here, and this is more tailored towards uh, the SEC schedule reveal. And, and I wanted to ask this because and we're going to get you on our Go 24-7 podcast. Um, I'm a little sad to not see Auburn and LSU matching up in 2024. I will say as a person who grew up, obviously, in the Auburn area, um, that game is always fun. I've never had a dog in the fight in that game, but I have always enjoyed the passion uh, the kind of rivalry LSU fans weren't too bothered by it. So, uh, you know, on our boards, but how did the Auburn fan base react to that 2024 schedule reveal? Yeah. I mean, they were, they were a little bummed. I think, uh, you know, the, the kind of Georgia fatigue has not set in when it comes to LSU. Like you have a faction of the fan base. That's like, Oh, they, maybe they're going to take George off the schedule. Okay. Like, sure. <laughs> you know, the team that might three Pete, like, yeah, I mean, they, obviously it's a historic rivalry. Nobody really wants that, but, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans were sad. It reminds them of the last time the SEC expanded. Um, Florida was an, or excuse me, Auburn was an annual rival with Florida and Tennessee. Yeah. Um, that was the old Amen Corner. You know, was included yeah. Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. And so, you know, it kind of reminds them of that. Saying, you know, it's it's, it's obviously it's a, it's a historic rival that's um, that's going away at least for one year. But um, it's good to know that it'll be back. I assume it'll be back the next year, probably for two years mm -hmm. in a row. At that point, you're talking about the, you know that game is just appointment television every single year. Oh yeah. Um, you can point to any, even, even the matchups that on paper don't look like they were, they were much of anything. Um, when I was in school four straight years, it was 16 where they had the, the touchdown pass at the end that was wiped off the board. Auburn wins at home 17 Auburn blows a huge lead on the, on the, on the road. And they have the DJ Chark punt return 18 yeah. Auburn blows a huge lead at home. And then 19, they almost beat Joe Burrow when Bo Nix had a terrible game, but they yeah. almost go into Baton Rouge and win. And so, you know, every game in that series had something. Um, but in terms of Auburn's 24 schedule overall, it's actually not bad. 
Um, no. You're getting Oklahoma and Jordan Hare. That's nice. That, that's, and you don't know what Brent Venables and Oklahoma is going to be. You're, you know, I don't I, know. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. The, I'm in the same boat. Like, should they be good? Yeah, like they should start recruiting better. But I don't know, man. I think last year was their least win since like 1997 or something like that. So, like, I mean, they've yeah. got a bit of an uphill climb. Um, as I'm looking at it right now, you know, you got to go at Alabama, at Georgia, but Arkansas at home, A&M at home, Vandy at home, at Kentucky, at Missouri. When you're talking about Auburn, you're talking about the last seven or eight years of like you look at ESPN strength of schedule. It's like number two, number three, number five, number one. I mean, like they're they have murderous schedules. This mm-hmm. one will probably be up there, but it, it seems pretty balanced. Like you, you obviously Georgia and Bama on the road. That's that's whatever. But, you know, as you're looking at the 12 team playoff, which I, I'm not saying Hugh Free is going to make the playoff in year two, but Auburn, much like LSU, kind of to me, because they play in the SEC, well, they're not going to be the SC West anymore. But, you know, since they play in the SEC and they are they kind of punch toward those 10 wins in terms of their expectation, those are a couple teams that it's like they are probably going to try to be in the hunt every year for the 12-team playoff, and they and they might be because yeah. you can probably go 9-3 and three in the SEC and have a really good shot to, uh, to, to make it into a 12-team playoff. And you look at the schedule for Auburn in 24, 9-3, you lose to Georgia, you lose to Alabama. Let's say, I don't know, somebody else, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, somebody like that and then you win the rest of your games, I think you've got a pretty good shot to, to have a good season. And so I think Auburn fans, sad about LSU, of course, but uh, otherwise, I mean, it's a pretty balanced schedule for them next year. Yeah, I think the SEC did a pretty good job, uh, as, as well did. as they could, with yeah. that with that schedule uh, to balance it out. Nathan King, all things Auburn with 24-7 Sports, Auburn Undercover. Nathan, before we get out of here, let people know where they can see your work, where they can find you on social media, and as we get ramped up, where they're going to find all that great Auburn content from SEC Media Days. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on threads. I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna do it. Um, <laughs> AuburnUndercover.com. You, uh, you'll get all of our stuff. Obviously, yeah, we're really looking forward to media days. And then on Twitter, because I refuse to believe it will die ever, uh, Nathan King 24-7. Absolutely love it. Almost shouted out the threads. We haven't had that in the podcast yet. You almost became the first. You'll have to Nathan- let me know when someone genuinely is like, yeah, man, uh, go to threads. Because like you can't even – people post their threads on Twitter – but then you open it; it doesn't even let you go to their account. It like, doesn't go to the app. It's it's oh Zuckerberg. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's another podcast for another day. Nathan, yeah. uh, pumped to see you next week, man. It's going to be a lot of fun, and obviously we're going to have to reconvene uh, when LSU and Auburn uh, match up. I, I imagine you're going to be making the trip down to Baton Rouge yes, uh, for that matchup. Yeah, going to stay in New Orleans, I think, with a friend. So I'm pretty uh, pretty excited about that. Awesome. Never, never a dull time. Well, that's Nathan King. My name is Bryce Coon. This has been the Auburn Football Preview 2023. We're going to continue on the road. We're going to Ole Miss tomorrow, continuing throughout the SEC West, the last year of divisions. We'll catch you next time here on the Crowd of